of the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Thanks for joining us for not only another exciting episode of Matt Spector through the multiverse, but welcome to the 100th episode, spectacular, of Matt Spectro through the multiverse. I'm going to go through the rules and we're going to start the celebration. This is a comic podcast. We talk comic books. We talk animation. We're also much like the old team-up books of the 70s and 80s, Marvel team-up, DC Comics Presents. Team Up Podcast. Every week, me and a special guest talk comic books and we talk animation. Third and most importantly, we got to have fun. Thanks for joining us and thanks for 100 episodes. We're going to bring my guest. He's a returning guest. He is coming back to the multiverse, the co-host of the podcast, Diabolical. Welcome back, Craig. Congratulations, first of all, on 100 episodes. That's huge. Thanks. I really appreciate it. I never thought I uh, I thought I would uh, get bored by now and stop, but I'm still having a good time. <laughs> that was good to hear, and and many more. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to be back. I had a lot of fun last time. Looking forward to speaking to you again. Last time you were here, we talked about uh, Justice League Doom. Right. And I don't know if you remember that, but I got some flack on not Twitter but Facebook. People said that. They didn't understand how I said that was loosely based on the storyline Tower of Babel. It definitely is. <laughs> That's a, I said, I said, I know it's a different villain, but it's the exact same premise. Right. <laughs> well, I don't think anybody will be arguing about this week's subject and its uh, inspiration, although it has a slightly different title. Very faithful adaptation. We're going to be talking the fastest man alive, The Flash, in Flashpoint. Now, before we get into it, since you've come back, I've changed it. Now we do a special feature. We begin each episode with a little bit of trivia. All right. Every guest gets some trivia. Now, I have trivia for the animation itself or the character, the comic book character, The Flash. Which one do you want first? Let's start with the character. In Flash issue 105, back in 1959, what? Famous member of Flash's Rose Gallery made his first appearance. Wow. Uh, let's say Captain Boomerang. <laughs> I'm sorry. I knew that was a tough one, but I thought, you know, you might be able to make a guess. It was actually the Mirror Master who made his uh. first appearance in Flash 105. All right, but I think the the animation one, I think you'll get that. This is, is easier. I didn't mean to spring it on you, and I, uh, <laughs> I <had a> little... <laughs> It's okay. A little fun with trivia. All right. In this, what we're going to watch in a few minutes, Flashpoint, the legend Ron Perlman from such films as Hellboy and Blade 2 is on Sons of Anarchy. He does a voice. What DC supervillain does he voice in the Flashpoint cartoon? Well, I believe he voices the same DC supervillain that he did in the Teen Titans animated series, uh, Slade Wilson, also known as Deathstroke. Ding, 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 ding. All right. <laughs> you are correct, sir. Ron Perlman doing the voice of Deathstroke. Now I don't feel so bad you got one of the two. You're not a... Yeah, I did okay. <laughs> and I threw in some bonus Teen Titans triff, So <laughs> Exactly. So you're educated and entertained. <laughs> so we're going to be talking Flashpoint, both the comic and the film. Now the film is actually called... The comic is Flashpoint, but the film is actually called Justice League... The Flashpoint Paradox, uh-huh. which is kind of a wordy and <laughs> yeah, <needlessly>. strange name. <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand why they embellished on that title so much. Although, what I did find is that there is a, a 90s comic also called Flashpoint. It's completely unrelated to Jeff Johns' Flashpoint. And there's a, I found there's a, there's a movie called Flashpoint that has absolutely nothing to do with the Flash as well. <laughs> Right, so that's probably why they had to change the name, but Justice League Flashpoint surely would have done the job. <laughs> I just, uh, maybe I'm nitpicking, I just don't like the fact that it's a Flash story and Justice League get the top billing. 
yeah, uh, yeah. I can't, I can't figure out why that would have been. Maybe the Justice League animated series was popular enough to attract that audience, whereas Flash alone may not have been. With you know casual animation viewers who maybe don't read a lot of comic books. Maybe they had um, success with some of the other Justice League DVD movies, so they thought, right, keep it going. But we're going to talk Flashpoint. I'm going to start with the comic book. Now, I have read it. I read it in preparation for this, but mm. when it came out, I, I've had stints in my life where my comic reading goes like really down, and then I come back. And when this actually came out in 2011, I wasn't really reading that much. So right. it wasn't fresh to me the day it came out, but I have read it. Did you read this when it came out, or did you discover it more recently? I thought that I had not read it, so I reread it for this. But in the course of reading it, I realized that I had read two of the issues of it. I don't think it was in 2011. I think it was probably three or four years later when I I got the, you know, the DC subscription service. They brought out an app where you could kind of pay monthly and, and read the whole back catalog of DC, which was great. I had that for a few years. Uh, and I read some of it then. But this is the first time that I'd sat down and read it from start to finish. The, my main takeaway from it was that it's a really cool concept. I don't tend to like Elseworlds stuff encroaching on, you know, main continuity. But I like what they did with this. And I remember the New 52 launching off the back of it. And I personally, I, I quite enjoyed a lot of the, the New 52 stuff. So. I was quite happy at the time anyway. Well, I don't know if I want to say uh, controversy, but may- maybe some controversy came with this. Yeah. We're not going to get into the whole history of The Flash, but uh, for anyone who doesn't know, The Flash was the first hero to pretty much launch the Silver Age of comic books. First appeared in Showcase number 4 back in 1956, created by Robert Kinniger and Carmen Infantino. But we're really going to hone in on Flashpoint, which was created uh, by Jeff Johns, the writer. The somewhat, at times, controversy. Sometimes right. I think the controversy is <laughs> overblown a little bit. He's, let's We'll call him divisive, we'll call him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, artist Andy Kubert. Now, I'm trying to remember, how recent had Barry Allen come back to life uh, before Flashpoint had happened? Do you remember? I really don't. In fact, at the time, I don't think I would have known the difference between, you know, Barry and Wally. Justice League, I had fallen off of for years. The Justice League that I loved, that I grew up with, was actually the, uh, you know, the Justice League, I think it was um, just titled Justice League, the run where Batman had come back and refounded the team with Guy Gardner's Green Lantern. And uh, okay. Blue Beetle, Blue Beetle uh, Martian Manhunter. So that that was the era that I got into it. Didn't have a great handle on the Flash until the animated series uh, came around, and that's when I kind of started getting interested in it. So yeah, I I, I had no idea. So if anyone doesn't know, back in the middle of the '80s, Barry Allen had died, and Wally West took over the mantle of the Flash. Lasted until well. Over 15, possibly 20 years. I'm not sure the exact date he came back. But uh, Barry Allen had come back. I think is a, I still stand by this. It was an ill-fated decision to bring Barry back. I think they had progressed Wally really into the hero. It wasn't like Hal Jordan who left a bad taste in his mouth when he was killed. Right. They gave Barry a hero's ending. So I stand by. I, I, I don't dislike Barry. I love Barry Allen. But I, I think it's a rare case of comics actually progressing. And I really stand by they should have left Barry alone and had Wally still be the Flash. Yeah, they should have the guts to do that more often. You know, X-Men in particular gets a lot of criticism for bringing back dead characters. And obviously, Jonathan Hickman has kind of written that as a plot device now. But yeah, if they have a hero's death, if their story has a a satisfying conclusion, that should be the time to to let them go. Actually, the, the Flashpoint comic from the 90s was an Elseworld story where Barry came back. Or Wally came back, rather. I think Wally had been killed. Barry was like an old man. Yeah, I, I read it, but uh, I didn't take a lot of it in. It wasn't as good as Jeff Johns' Flashpoint. <laughs> Apparently, Dan Didio didn't agree. He, uh, you know anything about Dan Didio, he was in charge of DC for a while and hate, hates legacy characters, which is odd, cause, considering he, he's 
the driving force behind the Batwoman that we have now. <laughs> right. Um, that was his thing. But enough about that. And then, as like you had said, this actually led to the new 52, which did increase sales at the time, but a lot, some people love it, some people hate it, where they kind of like did another relaunch of the DC Universe. Four of Owls came out of New 52, didn't it? And that was pretty well received, I think. All I can think of is, uh, when I think of 52, I think that was the Superman design without the trunks. And right. that's yeah. the beginning of Cyborg like really becoming like considered more of a Justice League member than a Titans member. Yeah. Also, at the same time, the side of it that I was into was mainly the, the Batman run. So they had Court of Owls. They had... Um, I forget the title, but where Riddler was running Gotham City and Batman was kind of stripped back to just bare bones stuff. I thought that was that was really cool. But yeah, the the Batman redesign was interesting as well. All all the New Fifty Two aesthetic, I guess, was you know not the best thing about it. But some some good stories came out of that era. So uh, this is the point where I'm going to warn y'all. Uh... If you haven't read Flashpoint or seen the movie, we're going to be talking some massive spoilers. So uh, <laughs> just be paid. Well, basically the point of Flashpoint was Barry Allen wakes up and he's in a completely different universe where everything has changed and he seems to be the only person who knows it. So that idea itself, we've seen in other comics, plus guys going to other universes and it goes from there. Very popular. Uh, some people say it's the most popular Flash story of all time. You would think DC thinks that being that uh, <laughs> they launched 52, they uh, did this DVD plus the new Flash movie coming out, the live action, is essentially Flashpoint. Yeah. I, I wonder if that's less to do with the popularity of the comic title and, and more to do with the popularity of Marvel's multiverse and the Spider-Verse. The mo- yeah, the recent popularity multiverses has something to do with that, as well as I believe originally it was conceived in a kind of relaunch the DC Extended Cinematic Universe through this event. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Uh, uh, there's been so many different rumors about that. It's hard to keep up with. <laughs> I think uh, my advice to them, although it's the ship has sailed now, would have been just to keep making the best movies you can make and forget about tying them in together. Or, you know, do that if you want, but don't make it a crutch. Don't make everything tied together. Uh, whereas, clearly, James Gunn is now going in the complete opposite direction of that and going to the point where everything's tied together so much that even the animations will be the same voice actors as the live action, which I, I just it feels needless to me. I think they, they're better at taking risks. And I don't love the movie joker but i love that they tried it I, i'd prefer to see them say yeah okay matt reeves go off make whatever batman you want and don't worry he doesn't have to interact with the other guys but he may just leave that door kind of open and, and don't don't pigeonhole yourselves into making everything connected well, i'm not going to get on a tangent here but the only thing i don't like about it is they have now the joker's universe of batman the Batman universe of Batman and the Brave and the Bold. So basically, we have three different Batman universes going on. I think that's fine. I can handle that. Just I, you know, I'll I'll pick the one I want to see. If it's good, I'll enjoy it, and then I won't worry too much about the continuity and how one affects the other. So, um, this uh, came out Justice League: The Flashpoint Paradox, released on DVD in July thirtieth, two thousand thirteen. I think it's a combo of uh, the popularity plus one of the things that's made Jeff John's devices is he's a big part of the DC's uh, studios. And uh, so he kind of tends to push for his own projects to get adaptations. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so he can get a nice little royalty check. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, I think it was a good choice, though, this one. I think it was. Uh, I do. I'm not saying he never made a. Some of his choices have been good. Yeah. Yeah. Some have been questionable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's been another thing on, uh, I hate to keep bringing up social media, like, I've had debates with people where they argue that all of his decisions have been terrible, and one of the things they brought up was him having Black Manta and Aquaman, and I'm like, who doesn't want to see Black Manta and an Aquaman? <laughs> right, yeah. I don't, don't know if you ready to talk about this yet, but one of the things that came into my head while I was watching this is, DC are really not afraid to portray Aquaman as like a tool. 
you know, uh, he's such a douche in this. And when he first popped <laughs> up in the Justice League animated series, you know, he was really antagonistic. Whereas you get, you know, the Batman Brave and the Bold animated series, you get that really cheerful, almost like a SpongeBob SquarePants version of uh, Aquaman, where he's so fun and so nice. And he's, I guess they kind of see him as, they don't really care too much about his characterization. He seems to swing wildly in every adaptation that they do. It's not even recognizable as the same character. But in this, he feels almost like an analog for uh, how we're saying it these days, Namor or Namor, who's always been kind of antagonistic, right? Yeah, most of the time. So I wondered if maybe that was the reason that they they pushed to have that kind of version of him. I, that's a good question. I don't know. Now this was, uh, it's part of the uh, DC Animated Extended Universe. It's the 18th film they released. It does, I looked it up, and they say it is part of the continuity of of all those other films mm. produced by Warner animation, DC entertainment directed by a J Olivia and uh, written by Jim Craig. Now I gotta say, looking at it, this has a uh, all-star lineup of voice acting in it. I'm not going to go over everybody, but I mean like it's got like Michael B. Jordan, Kevin Conroy, Nathan Fillion, Ron Perlman, like we discussed earlier, Carrie Elway. So uh, they got a lot of, uh, a lot of heavy hitters for this thing. Yeah, the great uh, Dana Delaney, who also did Lois Lane's voice in the Superman animated series. Dee Bradley Baker, really popular uh, voice actor. One of the best ones for me was Grey Delisle, because she plays Nora and young Barry. So that opening scene is Grey Delisle talking to herself. I mean, that's a talent. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. (laughs) Uh, But the casting choice that made me laugh the most Probably not fair on him because, you know, he's a very good actor. But the guy who played Steve Trevor is the guy who played in Seinfeld, Elaine's boyfriend, who was obsessed with the song Desperado, if you remember that. Oh, my God. That's the same guy. (laughs) Same guy. as Steve Trevor, who uh, unceremoniously kills very quickly in this, which I thought was quite fun. Now, the Flash himself, the main man, our main character, Barry Allen, he's voiced by Justin Chambers. Now, he's a... most famous, uh, he was uh, on Grey's Anatomy as Dr. Alex Karev, I believe. <laughs> my I wife watched it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched ER, that was my doctor show, and, and then after that I'd had enough. <laughs> I had seen enough of it from my wife watching it to recognize his face when I looked him up. Um, but yeah, he is, he is the voice of Barry Allen. Uh, now the reverse Flash, or uh, Professor Zoom, whatever you want to call him. He was created by John Broom and Carmen Infantino. He's voiced actually by uh, C. Thomas Howe. Yeah. Very famous 80s actor who still uh, has been in a lot of things. Uh, back in the 80s, he was in The Hitcher and Soul Man and the original Red Dawn. Um, he even appeared in uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, really? Yeah, he's uh, that scene with the lizard where Spider-Man is saving all the kids. Oh, uh, uh, wow. C. Thomas Howe's dad is one of them. And then later on, he, he gets the construction workers to help him to do that bit with... Uh, you know, he swings from the cranes. Yeah, right. I did not recognize him in that. I might have to go back and rewatch that. The third main player, Thomas Wayne, the Batman. He's voiced by Kevin McKidd. Uh, I believe a Scottish actor who'd been in movies like Dog Soldiers and Train Spotting. Yes, and he was in the TV series Rome. Yes, great. Love that show. It should have been longer than, than two seasons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he also was on Grey's Anatomy. He played Dr. Owen Hunt. Right. <laughs> the casting guy really is a big Grey's Anatomy fan. <laughs> uh, it's usually Andrea Romano, isn't it, who casts DC animated yeah. things. I think she she did the casting in this. I think she actually played a, a cameo role as a voice in this as well. Probably. But it's interesting. It's a very... I'm multiverses. We're about to get into it, but I kind of come and go. I've I've liked plenty of worlds and I've liked plenty of alternate realities, but I feel now it's almost, and this is kind of before, this came out like 10 years ago, so I cut it some slack, but I feel it's become a crutch now where, hey, this character's dead, ah, well, this is an alternate reality, or uh, hey, I want, always wanted to do a Spanish version of Superman. Well, here's a world where all the superheroes are Spanish. Like That would be great. It, <laughs> I, I, would, I would watch that. <laughs> but it just seems like uh, it's it's gotten a bit overused at this point 
yeah, and, and part of the problem with the way that the movie studios are treating it is it's a way to bring in crowd pleasing cameos. You know, Michael Keaton's Batman being back, he doesn't look like he's enjoying himself to me. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll be proven wrong, you know, fingers crossed. But I don't know if they've done it in service of his character or whether they've done it so they can say, look, it's the Batman you remember. That will be quite telling. You know, hopefully they do something and it feels like a continuation and maybe even a satisfying conclusion for him in that role. Not much evidence of that from the trailers so far for me, but happy to be proven wrong. Um, well, we'll see. I'm a huge Michael Keaton fan, so yes, me too. I, yeah. I am praying that he is good, that the movie is good, he's good in it, and that they give him like a, a satisfying way to go out where he's happy and uh, everything's just hunky dory. And fingers crossed for Beetlejuice too, as well. Could be good. Now the only and the, the DC where I get the hang up is. Marv Wolfman back in Crisis on Infinite Earth, his whole thing was we need to streamline the universe to make it more accessible to new readers and whatnot. And now I feel like the multiverse is more convoluted than it was before Crisis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I can kind of see why they keep coming around to that idea. It's to onboard new readers, I guess. And it kind of works, but it would be easier for them if they just kept mainline continuity around, if they just said, okay, we're going to... Almost like what Marvel did when they did Ultimate Series. They kept all the characters around still. But you could come in and access them if you'd never known them before and get a whole fresh take and a, a new origin on them if that's what you needed. And with DC, it's more like, we'll just destroy everything and start again. And then, you know, especially recently, a year or two later... Oh, it didn't work. Let's, let's go. Let's rewind that and go back to something more closer to how we were before. To keep throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Now, before we get, we're going to watch this in a minute, everyone. But I looked it up, and this is very critically acclaimed. Mm. It has a hundred percent critic review on Rotten Tomatoes. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I think the audience is at ninety-five. Let me hold on. I was just looking at it. And uh, critic score, yeah, hundred percent. Audience ninety three has an eight point one on IMDb, uh, three out of five on Metacritic. So this is uh, I'm going in with high expectations. This has some, uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of critical and fan reviews. So on that note, we're gonna take our break and we're gonna watch Justice League: The Flashpoint Paradox. Then we're gonna talk about it. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. World War Three. Maybe I could have stopped it if I just ran a little faster. Faster! The speed force allows the reverse flash to travel through time. He changed something in the past. We have to find out what he changed and change it back before they kill everyone on the planet. I'm a hero. You mean like Batman? No matter how fast you run, you can't save everyone. We're running out of time. War's over. Everybody lost. No! You'd be amazed the monsters this world can create. When Central City becomes a living genetic experiment, somebody's killing street people and making them disappear. No, please, no. The bloodstream is spiked with mutating cells. Can the Flash stop a scientist gone mad? Let's see how bad you really are. He'll kill you. The Flash Thursday. This is CBS. What's happening? You change the future. And you change the past. What did you do? Want some help? You're, you are, you're. Yeah. I'm Batman. Watch the full trailer online now. 
The Flash, only theaters June 16th. Meanwhile, behind the facade of this innocent-looking podcast... back and hopefully you just watched justice league flashpoint paradox it was a uh, well we're gonna get into it we're gonna we're gonna I, this is rare for me because rare i've read the comic and watched the movie like so close to recording so there's so much fresh in my mind there's so much there's gonna be so many apples to oranges comparisons for me so. now i gotta say the the beginning it's weird. They it's like the Killing Joke animation. They tack on like this twenty minute intro that's not actually in the original comic book. Yeah, they do, do the whole bit with the Justice that where Flash fights the Rogues and the Justice League comes and helps them. Right. Like they they added that whole bit where the uh, Professor Zoom attaches bombs to every one of the Rogues and then they have to uh, the Justice League has to separate them so they don't blow up and find a way to disarm them. As well as, like, they do a little bit of an opening montage with Barry and his mother, uh, you know, kind of showing the bond. What do you think about adding all that? There's a bit of that in the comic, isn't there? The Barry and his mother at the start? Yeah, there is a little bit, yeah. But in a slightly different way. I mean, I love the Professor Zoom bomb sequence. I think, as a Flash story, it's pointless. But as a Justice League story, it does such a good job of telling you who these characters are. Especially the there's a great economy of story throughout all of this, but in this sequence in particular, the way that each member of the league deals with their personal bomb is really telling of their character. You know, you get Superman who just kind of holds his bomb between his hands and waits for it to explode. <laughs> Wonder Woman, I think she freezes it using Captain Cold's gun and then kind of throws it into the air and lets it explode, which, uh, you know, she's a big fan of explosions, as we saw in in the Justice League live-action movie as well. Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, a cool insight into each character, the way that they, they handled their own personal mini-crisis. I assume they did it to kind of show that, uh, that not only the bond of the Justice League, but uh, there's a bond with Hal and Barry specifically, where Hal struggles the most with leaving Barry in the trap, you know, that he right. might not make it. And to show that Professor Zoom is pretty much willing to do anything to kill this guy. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I don't think Professor Zoom has an intro in the comic, does he? He just kind of shows up in in no. issue three. So, what do you think of the animation style? Everybody looks very, very large, very big shoulders and chest. <laughs> yeah, I don't love the character models. The animation itself, I think, is fantastic. In particular, the sequence where Batman, uh, well, Thomas Wayne Batman, is helping Barry to become the Flash again. And you get the the slowed down speed force explosion. I thought the animation on that was was great. Uh, but yeah, the character models are weird. They they kind of have those angular heads. It's somewhere between Batman the animated series and the Batman. Somewhere in the middle of those, where the proportions of the head and the spacing of the eyes don't just don't look quite right. So uh, and then at the end of that sequence. They ask Flash if he's all right, and he says, nothing, I can't run off. And... <laughs> <laughs> the funniest line in that, it's a real nice piece of innuendo from the character, the top, who says to the Flash, <laughs> it's like, you're the bottom, and I'm the top again. <laughs> and I believe that was Neil Patrick Harris. Was he? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. He may have um... improvised that line. <laughs> So then he wakes up and we kind of get the beginning of the Flashpoint comic where Barry wakes up at the police station. There's a reference to the elongated kid murders, not man. He's watching on the TV that Boomerang is fighting Citizen Cold, not Captain Cold. Right. He finds out very quickly that uh, not only do they not know who the Flash is, they don't even know who the rogues are. Yes. So we get the, not the uncommon, we've seen this trope a lot in comic books especially, but science fiction of the guy waking up in a world that's kind of his own, but there's something off about it, and he's the only one who notices. Yeah, although his response to it is quite annoying, because he keeps 
everybody who meets him and doesn't recognize him, he keeps going, hey, it's me, the Flash. And he <laughs> never catches on at any point. Nobody recognizes me. Or like his mother's alive again and he doesn't go, he doesn't think, oh, this is weird. He just after a few minutes, he just kind of accepts it <laughs> and then goes goes to tell her immediately his secret identity. And again, I get that because it's good econ- economic storytelling for a, a short feature. But, you know, if, if you try to think about it in terms of what would happen in, in real life, it's quite funny. Yeah, if you had seen your mother, if your mother died when you were a child and you're a full-grown <laughs> man, <laughs> yeah. I think he would almost faint from shock. Right, but uh, his re- his response is, what, you, you, you haven't heard of uh, superhero? So we do get that classic scene where he tries to run and he halfway through realizes he can't run fast, trips, yeah, falls, that's good. and runs into his mom. It's her birthday. He's supposed to take out for dinner. And there's a great bit where he's about to say he's the Flash and she cuts him off and says, yeah, you're gay, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That, yeah, that's when she realizes he's never heard of the Flash because he says he's the Flash. And then she brings up superheroes and then she says, oh, you mean like Batman? Yeah, that's get. interesting that she picks Batman of all of all the characters that are in this. Especially when you find seem, out later what's going on. Yeah, he doesn't seem the most... He's not the poster boy for metahumans in this world, I don't think. We go to Gotham, and uh, I gotta say, uh, I don't know what everyone thinks. I'm a big fan of the Thomas Wayne character and the, the character design. Uh, yeah. I, I like what they did there. I think it's an interesting idea. It's never really been done before. No one really looked at it. Well, you know, they've done stories. What if his parents weren't murdered? And what if this happened and that? But no one's ever done the thing. Well, what if Bruce was murdered and Thomas became Batman? Right. I really loved uh, in Tom King's Batman room where he brought that character into Batman's world. I thought that worked really well and kind of put him through the ringer. But yeah, I, I love the concept of the character. I love the characterization and the design is cool as hell. Yeah, but you do get the problem that arises in all alternate realities where if a character is too good or too popular, they don't want and done them. They always find a way to right, yeah. <laughs> to, to bring them back. <laughs> yeah, but it's done in a good way, I think, in, in the comics. I think uh, Blink from Age of Apocalypse is probably the most prominent example I can think of in comics. Right. That character was only created for that story. They reverted the timeline back to normal, but then uh, they found a way to bring Blink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Bruce is fighting and chasing the, this version of Harley Quinn, which is Yo-Yo. Quite different from Bruce Wayne. He's firing guns off left and right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he throws Yo-Yo off the roof at one point when she doesn't, <laughs> she's not going to tell him where the Joker is. Yeah. It's kind of, I'm, I'm against Batman using guns anyway. I'm one of those people, you know, but I just found this kind of funny because not only does he use guns, he's he's a terrible shot. How does he he, un, he unloads two clips on there and doesn't hit anything? <laughs> she does get saved by Cyborg, uh, who, by the way, is is like nine feet tall. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, I really like the Teen Titans animated series, and I like how much bigger than the rest of the Titans Cyborg is. I think it, it works. The only problem I have with recent Cyborg is I prefer him a little bit more half-human, half-robot, and they seem to have almost forgotten <laughs> that he's almost practically all robot these days. Right, yeah. So uh, they that's where they have the big meeting that happened in the comic where the holograms of all the heroes trying to get Batman to stop World War Three. They omit Element Woman for some reason completely from this whole special. Not yeah. that she's a... She's a huge deal in the comic, but she has a little bit more screen time and agency, so I don't they completely eliminate her from this. It would be introducing another character in you know the middle of the film. I think it would have killed the pacing of the film version. In fact, when I was reading the comic and I got to the part where she was introduced, I was kind of baffled as well. Wasn't really sure why she was brought into it. Yeah, I was more baffled as the story progressed because I, with the way she's introed, I thought in the comic she was going to play a bigger deal. Yeah, <laughs> she really doesn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> strange choice. Maybe plans change between issues. Batman says to Cyborg, "The war is already over, soldier. You've already lost. So he's he's got nothing to do with it." I also like the fact that. Uh, they kind of question, with, the, the normal comic fan doesn't do this, but they actually question, why is everybody so 
hell bent on Batman getting involved. He's just a guy. Like uh, they actually asked, the, <laughs> and they even talk about how the myth of Batman is bigger than Batman is. Yeah, especially this version of Batman. But yeah, some some instinct always drives the other characters to him, right? Uh, you find out at one point that Iris uh, is alive, but she's married somebody else and has a kid. Mm. Barry makes it to Wayne Manor, which looks abandoned, but he makes his way into the Batcave and it's still there. I like but, his version of the Batcave. You know, there's like one piece of equipment in it and just a desk. <laughs> and like empty alcohol bottles are like rolling. Yeah, <laughs> we're so used to seeing, you know, Alfred and the, and the huge supercomputer and all the lab equipment. But his is his so basic. And for some reason, he keeps the gun that killed Bruce in the jar from Beauty and the Beast that holds the rose. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne, uh, Thomas Wayne, doesn't appreciate Barry's presence, and he's not very nice. No. It, again, you know, Barry, in that, he doesn't do himself any favors in that scene. He's like, you're Thomas Wayne, and your son was his beard. Yeah, you, you must realize at this point what's happened to you, right? <laughs> You're not in, in the world you know. But he just keeps talking and getting himself beaten more and more. In fact, he, uh, he uh, breaks his fingers. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not the worst thing he does to him, but you'll get to that soon. <laughs> and then we get the scene that you mentioned, Steve Trevor, where uh, he's trying to meet the resistance. He's fighting off some Amazons. He ends up spilling his guts because of the lasso of truth and Wonder Woman just completely kills him. Wonder Woman is the one. You see that in the comic, right? I don't think you, know, it, it's, you it's see a, him killed. The comic, it's more implied. This, they have no problem <laughs> killing him and a lot of other people. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wonder Woman's my one hang-up about the comic and the movie. They don't seem to really show anything that's happened to her that's made her go so yeah. crazy. Like, right. Aquaman's wife is murdered, we find out. So, I mean, you can understand that, but yeah, there's no real explanation either in the comic or this about why Wonder Woman, who's normally pretty peace loving, has really just gone to war with <laughs> the entire planet. The implication, and this maybe is is a little bit misogynistic of Jeff Johns to to imply this, is that if Wonder Woman doesn't encounter Steve Trevor and develop a love for humanity through her love for this one man that comes to her you know, paradise island of women that she just becomes warlike, like the rest of the Amazons. That's the only thing I could think. That's the only explanation. I think that's why Steve Trevor was in that scene to say, this is who she is without Steve. I mean, that, that could be that. That wouldn't be the craziest idea. That actually makes sense. Yeah. But it's not a great um, reflection on her character. And I, you know, I didn't buy it, but that is what I thought he was going for there. So uh, we go back to the Batcave, Barry finds his ring, and a shocking revelation to show Thomas his costume. His costume's been switched with Professor Zoom's costume. Right. That's when we get to the conclusion that Zoom must be behind this. He must have changed the past. And then he explains also to, that in his timeline, Bruce is alive and a hero. He then, or uh, not then, but he later dons the costume and is somehow able to change it from yellow to red, I think by vibrating. I think that's all he does. Yeah, is that... The, the, that was a little... I don't know if he sewed super fast or vibration can change yeah, the color. Yeah, maybe that was it, yeah. <laughs> we go to a, a bunch of the villains who are uh, in Europe that's been flooded by the Atlanteans. There's like Sonar, Luthor, Fisherman, Deathstroke. They're all looking for Aquaman's doomsday device. Yeah. And then Aquaman and the Atlanteans show up and pretty much just massacre him without a, <laughs> without even breaking a sweat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's I cool guess the purpose Jack- of that scene is to set up Aquaman as a credible threat, right? Yeah, I mean, it's cool scene. You get to see Tempest and Jackson Hyde and uh, Aqua Girl and Black Man and Ocean Master, so. Right, right. And then Luthor says the bit about at least he knew he was right, so they've they found it. One issue I have with these, they're kind of inconsistent where Deathstroke at one point can defeat the whole Justice League, yet at this point he gets killed by Black Manta, and another one he gets his ass kicked by Damian Wayne. They have a hard time deciding what this guy can and can't do. Right, yeah. It's uh, 
the the limits of the character's power are dependent on the writer of the week, and that's that's always the way to look at it. Now we go back to Barry, and he convinces Thomas Wayne that they're going to recreate the accident that gave him his powers by strapping him to an electric chair. Yeah, Thomas Wayne, he agrees to this pretty quickly, and <laughs> the only thing I can see him getting out of it is really he's just kind of doing it to see what will happen, right? Maybe for, yeah. for entertainment. I think he even gives himself a little scotch while he's watching. <laughs> he calls him and says that uh, that he belongs in Arkham for doing this craziness. Yes. <laughs> but f*** it, let's do it, right? <laughs> yeah, he's like, go ahead, alright, you're, uh... <laughs> and, um, he says lightning doesn't, they say lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place, and Barry says, they say a lot of things. Yeah. And he certainly does get struck by lightning. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's pretty and grim. Catches on fire. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of darkly comic, knowing that he's well, if if you do know, you know, he's not going to die. I suppose he could have been killed off in this story. It would have been an odd choice for a Flash-centric <laughs> story. But but because you, you kind of know that he's going to be okay, it makes it a little bit humorous as well. Uh, just, you know, he's, uh, he's sitting there fully expecting to become the Flash again, but instead he just gets horribly burnt. <laughs> really horribly. Yeah, like what basically would happen to real people if these accidents in comic books happen? Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't give them superpowers. They would probably just burn alive. Yeah, don't try this at home. Then we switch over to a scene with Cyborg who's talking to, which is clearly President Obama, but whoever's doing the voice is terrible. It's uh, Kevin Michael Richardson, who uh, he does the principal on uh, American Dad, and he's recently joined the Simpsons cast, now doing uh, Dr. Hibbert. Does not do a good Obama. I'll tell you that. It wasn't awful. Like you know, I I heard it and then looked up and I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna without Batman's help, they're gonna have to send in the military to Europe because at this point Europe's been flooded. The Amazons have taken over London. They don't know what's gonna happen next. Oh, then we get a weird. I assume we get a flat. Oh yeah, this is because Barry starts to get memories of the New World. They're sort of taking over his old memories. Right, yeah. And uh, we get a flashback of Clark Kent's The Rocket hitting Metropolis, causing an explosion. Yeah, uh, I was confused about that for a second. You know, I didn't realize immediately that it was a flashback. I thought it was kind of happening in the moment. But yeah, there's no real explanation. So the explanation for a lot of the events is that... So Barry's confused himself. He says, you know, to Zoom later on, there's no way that me stopping my mother from being killed kind of affected events that happened before that like uh, Bruce's parents being murdered, Clark's arrival on Earth and he explains that it's ripples you know, through time but that doesn't explain why Clark's uh, ship veered off course and, and you know devastated the city. Yeah because they also get, he gets that and he gets the flashback of what caused the war because Aquaman and Wonder Woman were having an affair and that caused a, a fight with Mira and Wonder Woman where Wonder Woman killed her. He even gets a flashback of Bruce's death. Yeah. Which this part was a little weird and where Martha is crying, but then she gets the blood on her hands forms like the Joker smile and then she starts laughing. Yeah, it's a cool idea, the uh, the hand over the mouth to create that. That again, it was towing the line between really economic storytelling because you immediately know what's happened there. You're like, okay, oh, she's the Joker. But it's done so quickly that it wouldn't satisfy in a live action film. You you would make fun of it. It's too glossed over. It, you know, you need more time for that moment. But I think it works in, in the context of, you know, a, a 90 minute animated feature. Uh, he also, this is where Barry figures out that if he doesn't take care of this soon, all his memories of the of his world are going to be replaced with memories of the current world. So they got to figure out this and they got to stop everything from happening. At one point, now this is a part that's not in the comic books as well. You find out that the Atlanteans have captured Captain Adam and they're using him to power this doomsday device. Right, yeah. So the stakes are uh, a little bit higher in this. The idea that he's going to lose his memories of his former life they're a really good way of raising the stakes because anything else you kind of think oh well there are no consequences here because it's 
you know, we know he's going to get back there at the end of the day. But once that starts happening, that's when you kind of think, okay, there's a there's a ticking clock on here. He needs to reverse what's happened here as, as quickly as possible. And it only is the flash, so you know he should be doing it pretty quick. And then that's the scene we get where uh, you talked about earlier, where he they redo the experiment. And this time it works, and he becomes the Flash and saves Thomas Wayne from falling uh, off the balcony. Yeah, that was great. I really, really thought they did a good job with that part. And he said, "I told you I was fast." And how convenient for him that he heals super fast as well. He's able to. <laughs> We get the scene of Lois Lane and New Themyscira. She's saved by an apparent speedster. Yeah. Uh, and then she meets the Resistance who have no speedster. So this is very mysterious. Yeah, but they do have, and I believe this is the character's correct name, Canterbury Cricket. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> There's a deep cut. Canterbury Cricket. I'm not really that familiar with that character's origin. <laughs> no. They didn't. You can't fault yeah. anyone with that name. Yes, they didn't really go into it, and I don't think I've seen a, a Brave and the Bold episode covering Canterbury Cricket, so I'm going to have to go and, and look up Canterbury Cricket later on and see what that's all about. And there was a weird compliment where Grifter calls Lois Lane hot legs. <laughs> I've, I, <laughs> He's I've not never wrong. Heard that. <laughs> no, I just never heard that phrase before. No. <laughs> Then we find out that Barry's not fast enough. He can't break the time barrier. There must be another speedster that's tapping it in, preventing him from doing it. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense when you really stop and think about it, does it? Yeah, I was confused because there's like 19 speedsters on his Earth. So why is this one preventing him from doing it? Right, yeah. And, and also, Zoom has already done it when Flash was around using the speed force. So you know, it's not like there's some kind of yin and yang in there. I think it, it was just convenient to the plot. (laughs) (laughs) We get a scene of Hal with the military where they've captured, uh, they've had Aben Sir's crash plane this whole time and they want Hal to fly it. And for some reason, which this didn't get in the comic book, Aben Sir is the green lantern of sector two, eight, one, four still, but in this version, he died and his ring left earth. Didn't go to Hal. Uh, that that's a little strange as well. What's really strange about it is, is they don't pay that off. You kind of think, oh, where did the ring go? We're going to find out, but we don't. So what was what was the purpose of even saying that? It was just a strange one. They go to Metropolis to investigate Barry, Thomas, and they get Cyborg's help to investigate where they think they're holding Superman. At one point, Thomas Wayne says, Flash's Earth must be a paradise since the World War Three hadn't happened, the crashing of Metropolis, and obviously his son never died. Right. They find Superman who is being held prisoner. He's super thin and scared because he's pretty much never seen the sunlight. He's been locked away the whole time. Right. This was a pretty good scene where there's that big fight with the other government and Clark first sees the sun and he says how it's so beautiful. And then he his his powers go crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. It's not really explained how they were aware of the Red Sun's influence on him. Because I think in mainline continuity, he's the one who explains that because he wants everybody to feel comfortable in his presence. And he kind of tells Star Labs, yeah, this is how to deal with Kryptonians. You know, don't worry about me ever getting out of line. I'm going to help you to, you know, keep me contained. Without his special knowledge of uh, his own physiology and, and cooperation with Star Labs, I, I was kind of wondering, did they just, they found him as a baby. You know, he's just devastated the city, but there's a baby in, in the rocket. Should we just try putting him in a room with a with a red light and see what happens? Yeah, it, it, it is odd. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't really, yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, we get the next scene, which is the only scene that this whole thing that really just irks me is where Hal is going to do a kamikaze mission to blow up Aquaman. Yeah, it's a punk ending for that character. Especially because, as you said before, they go to some lengths to set up the idea that Hal and Barry have this kind of special friendship. And then when Hal's brought into it again, there's no payoff for it. You know, you 
you're told about the ring and he he reacts to that oh you know ring you're almost waiting for it to come to him somehow and instead you know just explodes now it does have the best line in the whole thing where right before he's going to crash he says <laughs> beware my power asshole <laughs> yeah that was good <laughs> But then he just gets eaten by a sea monster. He blows up, and the monster and Hal are dead, and that and that's the end of it. Yeah, real punk death for Hal there. But it is followed up by one of the best scenes in the in the movie, where Thomas Cyborg, the Shazam kids, Barry, they're all together, and Barry gives that great speech about how heroes, even without Superman, would never give up. That's what heroes do; they don't have hope. So you get one of those classic superhero speeches that convinces them all to yeah, stirring stuff, yeah, to go that and uh. That's a great interaction where he says, uh, where everybody fit in the bat plane. And Thomas is like, what? <laughs> yeah. Did you not see his bat cave? The the one table and the booze? And the way this and, guy's got an arsenal of cool vehicles. He does have a plane. It's just not the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the bat plane. Yeah. We get to the big fight where the Atlanteans invade England and this is one thing I think the comic, the movie has over the comic is that movie can really explore and show fight and action and superhero stuff way more than a comic book can. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of fighting. People are dying left and right. In typical of all Elseworlds where there's no consequences, they just love to kill people all, <laughs> all the time. That never would die in regular continuity. Yeah, yeah. A bit quite unceremonious. <laughs> yeah, some people die like instantly. Other people put up a big fight yeah the shazam kids become captain thunder for the first time and she wonder woman calls him a real man yeah yeah i, I was i was interested in that as well i guess she's talking about his character she must know well she's just seen him transform from a <laughs> child so yeah, she's glad a real man is here to witness this <laughs> uh and then in the whole fight batman gets injured Barry tries to save him, and he says, we're dead already. The only way to save this world is to change it so it never happened. Yeah. And that's when Zoom shows up, and we get the big reveal. Zoom didn't do all this. Barry did. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. That is a good reveal. It is a good reveal. That's from the comics, where Barry, going back to save his mother, actually caused Flashpoint to happen. Which I like because it's one of my hangups about comics is they almost never deal with what kind of consequences would happen with some of these actions. Like, yeah, there's never any negative things down the road in relations to what decisions superhero make. I guess the risk that that would be a bit of a downer. You know, you get your issue one week where the Justice League fights Starro and there's a lot of destruction of buildings. And then the next seven episodes are just people being sad and cleaning up their ruined <laughs> homes. <laughs> but uh, he he wants to break the time barrier, but uh, to do to try and save things again, which Zoom tells him that he can because of him. Even tells him that it was it wasn't like he even went back in time to do something for the greater good. He just did it for completely selfish reasons. Yeah. Uh-uh. I wasn't really all that happy about the the lasso of truth where she makes Shazam Captain Thunder reveal how he becomes it, but she makes him say Shazam. Like I thought this thing was a lie detector, not like a I can make you do things. (laughs) Yeah, and even then, my immediate note afterwards was, why doesn't he just say Shazam again? (laughs) You know, she's taken the lasso off him at this point. He's reverted to Billy Batson. She takes her time walking up to him and I was just thinking, just say Shazam again. You'll be fine. Wonder Woman kills Billy Batson. Oh, yeah. You know, with with like a knife, right? Or like the broken hilt of a blade. This is how far gone Wonder Woman has come now. She's killing this poor kid. Yeah, the only real man she's ever met. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, Cyborg is getting totally destroyed by... uh, Aquaman, he's like ripped apart his metal. We get the last minute save from Superman who shows up though and shoots his arm off with his heat vision. Yeah. <laughs> and Wonder Woman shows up and kills him. And right before she does, Aquaman sets off Captain Adam's doomsday device, so a huge explosion is going to happen. 
Yeah, the really slow explosion. Yes. <laughs> Thomas Wayne manages, he shoots and kills Zoom when he's giving a big speech. That's great. That's so much better than the, the way he kills him in the comic. And, you know, the uh, the framing of it and everything, the camera through the hole in the head, the kind of classic anime style of the snapback and the way that his face droops to the side. Yeah, that was very reminiscent of, of anime to me, and I really enjoyed that. And then he gives Barry a note and says, you got to go on the Speed Force. The only way to save this world is to keep it from happening. Yeah. And uh, we get this great scene of Barry running through the Speed Force where he actually catches up to the previous version of himself and uh, stops him from saving his mother. I honestly thought they were going to have like a saying goodbye to his mother moment. But I was kind of surprised that that didn't happen. That in the comic, right? Yeah, I believe it does happen in the comic, but yeah, it didn't happen there. But that was a great scene, animated, and I love the way that was done. I'm expecting something similar, probably somewhere between the two versions uh, in the in the Flash movie, because it's clearly kind of centered around his, you know, desire to save his mother, conflicting with his duty to not ruin the world. <laughs> And you've got those two versions of the Flash in there. I think we're going to get more of a conflict between them than we got in this. Because obviously the, the Flash that we've followed, he kind of tries to stop the Flash that caused it all. And they have a brief kind of tussle there. But it, it, it doesn't go into detail. You know, it's not like uh, Clark Kent fighting drunk, dirty, leaning Tower of Pisa Superman. There's no real... <laughs> <laughs> there's no expansion on that again it's that economy of storytelling that you kind of have to do in in a, a short feature like this i think they did it quite well but i agree it would have been nice to get a moment of resolution between barry and his mother there so he wakes up in the exact same spot he did at the beginning but now he realizes he's back on earth everything's cool he has a great reunition with iris and he uh, gives his mother's grace flowers, kind of like, kind of lesson learning his mother had told him at the beginning about you can't change the way things are. Yeah, and, and in a way, he got something that most people don't get and something that he can carry with him is for all of the, obviously, horrendous things that happened, he did get a chance to, to have those moments with her in his present, with her at that age. Hopefully he gets to retain that memory at least. And then you know, effectively undid all of the horrendous shit that he caused in that other world. So yeah, he does go back to the Batcave and he does realize that he remembers all the memories from that other world. Yeah. Batman says maybe it was a gift. Yes. He gives uh, Bruce Wayne the, the note from his dad, which really is a great moment, I gotta say, where Bruce actually tears up. Yeah. And he thanks Barry and says, you're one hell of a, a messenger. I really like the way to do that. In the comic, Andy Cupid has a, you know, probably written in the script by Jeff Johns, he has a close-up on Bruce's teared-up eyes. But in this, it's just a tear that stains the letter. I think that's more... Because you kind of want Batman to be stoic, right? You want to know that he has a heart and emotions, but also you want to kind of give him the benefit that he thinks no one else knows, you know? Yeah. I like, I always feel that like, cause of the way Batman's written, when you're going to show heartfelt moments from him, you better make him count. Yes. And this one, I think certainly, certainly does such a great moment of him actually being affected. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really good. It's cool. Um, the line about you one hell of a messenger as well. Cause you know, the, especially the Jay Garrick flash design is really based on, Hermes, the Greek god, who was a speedster and, you know, had lightning powers and was the messenger of the gods. So Flash fulfilling that role uh, as a messenger, I'm sure that's not an accident. I'm sure that that's a, a nod to that. And then we end with a great montage to music of Barry just showing all the crazy things he can do with his running powers. Running up buildings, running on water, running upside down, you name it. Yeah. And there you have it, folks. Justice League, the Flashpoint Paradox. So, 
It's kind of hard to talk about review. I think we should kind of like do it in the sense of reviewing it on its own as well as just on it, how it compares to the comic book. Before we get to the ranking, I'm going to do the comic. I think it's actually, now that I've read it, it's pretty, one of the most, it's really high up in the animated of the, one of the most faithful adaptations. I think they just added more than actually made changes. Yeah, and obviously took out that one character that you mentioned, you know, Weather Girl or Elemental, Elemental Girl. Element, Element Woman. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a super faithful adaptation and in, in the best way. You know, it hits all of the beats, but it does a lot of them in its own way and some of them more cinematically than what you got on the page in the comic. Yeah, most of the additions are good because they're more like action or they're more like cinematic. Right, and all of the, as you said earlier, the the battle scenes that, you know, there is an art in comics to action, and obviously some artists do it better than others, but there's something about the style of fighting that they've, they mastered it in the Justice League Unlimited series. I think one of the first episodes of that that I saw where I was blown away by the fight choreography and animation uh, was the one where Green Arrow and Black Canary they're trying to get Wildcat away from that underground sort of fighting ring. And the, the fight scenes in that, I, I was blown away by. I hadn't seen anything like it in, you know, particularly Western animation at that point. And throughout this film series, you know, the Justice League feature animated series, I think they've just kept that going. And, and the action in this was, was really good. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's some things just the medium of comics are a little limited when it comes to action in, in sometimes. So yeah, sometimes you can improve upon that. Now we're going to just rank it what we thought in a whole. We're going to go to our spectrometer. Anyone new to the show, spectrometer, we rank what we saw. Zero spectros being garbage, four spectros being perfection. Craig, what are you going to give Justice League? Flashpoint paradox. Well, I'm I'm thinking a three point five if we're allowed, you know, decimals. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a three point five. It wasn't as perfect to me as some of the other things that have come out of DC Animation, but as an adaptation of a very good comic that I enjoyed, you know, it's it's hard to fault. It's really it's really good. Worth your time if you haven't seen it. Uh, I'm gonna go. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go 3.5 as well. I think it's really good. Uh, uh, I, there's some nitpicky things. I'm not a huge fan of Wonder Woman, but the comic is the same way. The way I should say, I'm not a fan of the way Wonder Woman's portrayed. Right. <laughs> That's from the comic, so I can't fault them. And I didn't. That Hal Jordan scene really was not a fan of that. Yeah, that that was the worst one for me. Just give him something to do, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you you could have just written it out, and it really had no impact on on the rest of the story. But over that, I enjoyed it. Good storytelling. Action's good. Very cinematic. That I have to give him points for such a faithful adaptation. I'm going to go 3.5. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, and again, great cast and really well directed. You know, everybody everybody knocked out of the park in this one. What did you think out there? Did you like it better than we did? Did you like it worse? If you did, that's okay. We're just two guys talking. Comics are talking animation. I want to hear from you. You can go to my social media and let me know what you thought. Matt Spectro on Twitter. Follow me while you're there. And on Facebook, you can find me, Matt Spectro, through the multiverse. If you want to specifically complain about anything I said, don't bother Matt. You know, <laughs> come and yell at me. I'm Matt Diabolical Pod. <laughs> I want to thank everyone uh, for 100 episodes. I want to thank all of my guests and all of my listeners. I appreciate it. Maybe I'll do 100 more. Craig. Thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. Right now, we get to the free plug time of our show. The floor is yours. Plug away anything and anything you want to plug. I am part of a panel of peril, as we call ourselves, on the Diabolical Podcast. That's a podcast where we do evil schemes, but better. So we'll watch a, a film each week, watch a movie. We will talk about how the villain fared. Uh, what we thought of their diabolical schemes. And then we move on to a competition round where each of us has to write what we think is a is a better villain plan than the one that we watched. 
Uh, and then at the end, we vote on who came up with the best one. I'll be honest, quite a lot of the schemes we came up with are pure batshit. They're just insane. Uh, but we have a lot of fun and we hope that uh, our listeners do as well. So come along and give it a try. Uh, if you're into superhero stuff, we did cover Black Panther, but uh, yet to cover much more than that. We've done Dark Knight as well, actually. And we try and do one Batman movie each season, actually. We're now on our third season. We did we did Batman 66 in season one. We did The Dark Knight in season two. And this this may come out ahead of uh, our audience knowing this, but we will be doing Batman 89 uh in a few weeks too i gotta say when uh it's hard when you uh we complain about movies but when you uh you put up the challenge of saying well what would you have done differently sometimes it's really hard to come up with a damn what would i have done differently yeah and i think what what's good is that we don't take that too seriously you know i'm not gonna go on twitter and tell as i saw today dan slot was sharing some stories of confrontations he's had on twitter with people giving him quote unquote (laughs) constructive criticism and i think you know if you're not a professional and successful comics writer there's no constructive criticism you can give dan slot because he's doing quite well for himself whatever you think of his his output is is popular and influential so when we do rewrite the villain schemes in in movies we just we have a bit of fun with it you know we we're not expecting to come up with a, a better script uh it's just kind of for sometimes sensible and, and sometimes not so sensible alternative plans well i hope you'll uh, come back and do another episode with us yeah absolutely uh and and one of my co-hosts uh, gaz is also a comics fan he was uh hoping to do this one actually but just due to the recording time obviously we're I don't know if you've picked up on this, but I'm based in, in the UK. Not in England. No, no. <laughs> Wales. <laughs> so getting together with, uh, obviously, a lot of our friends uh, in the USA. And uh, one of our hosts is, is uh, based in Japan. So even when we record our own podcast, we kind of have to juggle those schedules. But I'm, I'm hopeful that I can bring one of my co-hosts on with me uh, next time. He will be able to give you some insight in comics as well, because he's... Uh, you know, he's very knowledgeable and uh, likes a lot of the same stuff we do. I love that. Like I say, I have a guest every week. So, uh, yeah, you think it'd be easy, folks, but sometimes it's very difficult to <laughs> <get people laughs> come on a show. Yeah, that's everybody probably has the same problem, right? In the indie podcasting world, in that, you know, we're all balancing a full time job. You know, the, the passion is there to keep doing this every week, but the time isn't necessarily. <laughs> Yeah, like recording is a blast and releasing the episodes and interacting on social media fun. It's the the research and the finding the time to actually record is where the, the problems come yeah. in. Yeah, and the edit for me takes me probably longer than it should, but I think it's uh, it's worth doing. Come out with a nice good edit at the end of, of, a, of a week and then it all feels worth it then. Well, there you have it, folks. 100 episodes. Hope you enjoyed us. Hope you stick around. I appreciate it. Craig, thanks for joining us. Make sure you check out Diabolical as well. And join us again next week for another exciting episode of Matt Spectral Through the Multiverse, everyone.